Hello, welcome to the Word on the Hill podcast. We are the Lanky Guys. My name is Father Peter Muzzy. My name is Scott Powell. And uh, we are so excited that you have joined us for this lovely endeavor of uh, talking about the scripture with the Habarim and uh, the Triduum. I mean, we are about, we're, we always record on Holy Thursday, but yeah. we're um, we're recording this podcast specifically for Easter Sunday morning readings. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, so you, um, you're doing an Easter vigil though, correct, right? I am doing an Easter vigil, but, but it's um, not the full blown eight, no, like, seven thousand um, readings. Well, yeah, and well, and also Cardinal Seurat, um, he uh, he said that there should shall be no Easter fire, so we're not oh. going to do an Easter fire, really? uh, or the lucent, yeah, the lucinarium, which is uh, which is the uh, specific blessing of the Paschal candle, plus what? the really, um, why not? Yeah. Um, he just he, As, he for just, symbolic value. I don't know. I, I actually, uh, it, it just was it was put out by the congregation for liturgy, and so that's what we do. Wow. Okay. That's we we are obedient. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I, I was like getting set up to do the the procession right? through my basement right? here. Now you were telling <laughs> us about it. I was excited. <laughs> <laughs> I'm st- I think I'm still gonna light a fire even if I don't get to bless it as the Easter fire. I think I'm gonna. I won't tell anybody. I think I'm just. I'm gonna crank it it's up. It's just you know between you saying? and me. Nobody listens to this. So we're nobody fine. hears this. No, no. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I just, I just couldn't do it without, without a fire. I mean, I would just be. It wouldn't feel like Easter. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's reasonable. Well, friends. Um, our uh, first reading for the Easter Sunday um, uh, is going to be from Acts of the Apostle, okay. um, uh, chapter 10, verses 34a, jumping to 37 through 43. All righty, all righty. Our responsorial psalm is coming from Psalm 118, verses 1 through 2, 16 through 17, and 22 through 23. The response coming from verse 24. Now, for the second reading, um, we, we ha- didn't talk we about this. Co- <laughs> this could get ugly. No, we had a we have a couple of options. The option, the first option, is from Colossians chapter three, verses one through four, okay. or you can do First Corinthians um, chapter five, verses six b through eight. Mm. Which do you want to do? Um, you know, Scott, I um, I was thinking about actually the Colossians because ah, of uh, you've died and your life is hidden with Christ and God and like there's something about being th- there's a hidden life that's happening now so I I, I, I like that that's one. that's what I was uh, leaning toward yeah. so that makes me happy our gospel is coming from the Gospel of John chapter twenty verses one through nine or you could do Matthew twenty eight one through ten or Luke twenty four thirteen through thirty five really uh-huh. I don't see any of those options on my interface. Yep, but we're going to do John 20. Is that what you were planning on doing? Yeah. Okay, good. I didn't realize we had all those options. You know, it's it's kind of one of those things, you know, every once in a while you get an option in life and um <laughs> and uh It's like choose your own adventure you liturgy. Dude, I got my first choose your own adventure in 3rd grade, man. I love that book. I wish I I wish I had one of those. Well, if I know anything about you, it's that if you don't have something, you will make one yourself and then declare oh, yourself dude. to have a merit badge over it. 
Dude, that's it, man. I think I'm gonna. I think that okay. I've been flirting with the, doing a YouTube channel for a long time. You, 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 have, you know this. Yes, I, oh, I do. Yeah. Well, people out there in the world. Um, and so I think that I think that the theme of it is gonna be Musset's merit badges, and nice. um, and it's just gonna be me pursuing the. I, I actually have 52 episodes already written what? down of things that I could actually go through Good and heavens. do. Yeah. Because I was like, I was like, man, what have I pursued it like with kind of that bizarre musset like vigor? Mm. And I was like, I, I had 50, I wrote down 52 things. That's a lot of things. I know. So I have to, you as Lanky Guys listeners out there, if you're interested in such a YouTube channel that is kind of bizarre in that capacity, let me know. Would you actually be interested in watching that? All right. Because it's a bunch of random things. We will wait for the, uh, the carrier pigeons to start arriving. Yes, dear carrier we pigeons, stand, please let me we'll know. We'll stand in the owlry and wait for the deliveries. All right. Right, so, something something like, I mean, I'm just going to give examples, okay? Oh okay? Like live streaming, okay. sewing linens for masks, okay. machine embroidery, okay. CNC programming, okay. 3D modeling. Okay. Yeah. Nice. All that sort of Haberdashery. Yeah. Haberdashery. That's, my, that's one of my later pursuits mm. that I've just been doing. It's been fun. We should talk about the readings. Okay. No, oh, let's not on. do that. That's not what this podcast is about. Yeah, it could be, <laughs> depending okay, on do. where things go from here. Uh, that's a good point. Let's do it. Uh, you're not going to like what I have to say. Why? Because I, I, I can't. Well, I have a number of things to say. And <laughs> I can't make sense out of any of them without thinking about the gospel first. So do do we just do do we just pony up and start there? I mean, it's, it is Easter, so we it, can do whatever it, we want. It is Easter, and so it seems appropriate that that act, I mean, always. I mean, whether it's Easter or not. I mean, the liturgical structure is always that the gospel is, interprets everything else. The gospel colors all of it because that is the the pinnacle moment of of the liturgy of the word. Um, right. And but we usually don't do it this way. But I I actually can't. I've been actually racking my brain all morning trying to find a narrative that gets that gets us there the other direction, or at least that gets where my mind is going the other direction. I got to say something. I was uh, before I looked at these readings, I was thinking about and reflecting on and praying about the podcast, which is weird because I usually don't do that without looking at the readings. But I was uh, yeah. I was on my little prayer walk this morning and I was thinking about the podcast and I was actually getting stressed out about it because. I'm having a hard time thinking about how to celebrate Easter. And I mean, on a personal, like familial level, like how do you celebrate? But on a, litur on a liturgical level and the podcast level, how do you celebrate Easter in the state that we're actually in right now? In isolation, in quarantine, without being near our family. I'm super sad that we can't see my parents and my, you know, the kids want to see grandma and grandpa. Like all these things are like, how do you, how do you celebrate this? How do you live this joy of the resurrection and this fanfare and do all these things while being locked up alone in our houses and not able to go to church and we can't have the vigil and we can't do any of these things. And it was really sad to me. And the themes that I was thinking of this morning in my own prayer are exactly, they couldn't have been planned better, the themes that the gospel actually brings out, I think, in my, in my reading of it. Does that make any sense? Well, I want you to, I want you to unfold it. Okay. And then I think it will, I think it'll make some sense. I mean, like, I know that we've been talking and just how, how to actually make sense of this time in, in relationship to the exile and like, that that in salvation history there's a lot of 
there's a lot of rhyming to what we're experiencing yes. for the people of God before within the world. Yeah, and I think there is a particular resonance. Well, so part of it, how do I say this correctly? Um, I think, okay, I want to I wanna be careful with my language. I have been misled by the Easter story. No one has misled me. The church didn't do anything wrong. I didn't, but, but. It was, it's, a, it's your own stinking fault is what you're saying. No, I'm not even, I'm actually not saying that either. Um, but what? there is something I think fundamentally misleading about the way that we've thought about and studied and recognized and celebrated Easter in the tradition of the church. It's not wrong. We ought to celebrate it the way that we do. But, yeah. but here's what I mean. And this is where the gospel really brings this to light. When we celebrate Easter, and I guess one of the things I've been struggling with is that for me, Easter represents this amazing, huge, beautiful blowout, blow the trumpets, light the lights, you know, bring in, it's time to play the music. It's time to light the lights. Is that the Muppet show? Yeah, that's the Muppet show. Oh man. Sorry, my, wow, my brain was just started. Deep. <laughs> <laughs> nice pull, man. Woo! But it's that. I, I, I'll never forget the first, my first ever Easter Vigil Mass. It was when I was in college at Steubenville, and I'd never... It was like I didn't even know that the church did this. I just didn't even know it was a thing. I'd never experienced it before, and I remember going... Dude, that was my ex my experience, too, and oh. I went to the Easter Vigil. The, the priest did it. He did it at 2 a.m., too, oh and gosh. it was just like this blazing fire, and I had been fasting like religiously for days, and it was, it was just so freaking epic. It was amazing. Well, I remember being in Steubenville, in the giant field house, right? Which um, it's a field house, so it's a giant gym. So there were no windows. So I mean, when you're in there, it is like pitch black. And there's the like little flashlight that the readers are seeing, you know, using and the musicians have like a tiny light. But I mean, it's dark and it's yeah. long and there's like a thousand people in there and everyone's dozing off and getting super tired and we've been fasting. And then the moment, again, I had never experienced it before. The moment that we get the gospel and all of the lights come on in this huge field house. Every door opened, the banners unfurled, every door people started coming in with flowers and they're blowing, literally they're blowing trumpets and horns and the place explodes and I'm like, what, where am I? It's, it's become such an icon of what Easter is for me, which is this right. moment of glory, of light, of all these things. Now here's back to the original point why I feel like my heart is sometimes misled is that that's true in the spiritual sense of Easter, but that was not the experience of the church on Easter. And the gospel mm. is a perfect reflection of this. So I want to read this. This is a, it's not a terribly long one. After all these weeks of ridiculously long readings, we have kind of a shorty no. on from John, but it says this, on, it's John 20. It says, on the first day of the week, Mary of Magdala, so Mary Magdalene, in every single one of the Gospels, all the Gospels are agreed that Mary Magdalene is the first one at the tomb. So the synoptics say that she's actually there with other women as well. They're not mentioned here, but I think it's, it's striking to me that Mary Magdalene is, by every account, the first one to actually witness this. So she came to the tomb early in the morning, and I, I've, been, I've been hanging on this phrase while it was still dark. She comes while it's still dark. And I'm sure, I mean, there's obviously just a literalness to that. It's, it's probably pre-dawn. It's not really light yet. 
but I'm, I'm also seeing it on very much of a spiritual level. There's another level to that line, I think. Yes, it's physically dark, but there's something else. And she saw the stone removed from the tomb, so she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John. And she told them, they have taken the Lord from the tomb. We don't know where they put him. So Peter and the other disciple came, with him, came and went to the tomb. They both ran. The other disciple ran faster than Peter. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge. I won, says John. He arrived at the I tomb won, first. I won, and I'm younger and stronger than you, sucker. Just so you know. He arrived at the tomb first. He bent down. He saw the burial cloths. He didn't go in. When Simon Peter arrived after him, he went to the tomb. He saw the burial cloths there and the cloth that had covered his head. Um, not that the bur- not with the burial cloths, but rolled up in a separate place. The other disciple went in, the one who had arrived at the tomb first. He keeps pointing that out to you. He saw and he believed, for they did not yet understand the scripture that he had to rise from the dead. Period. The end. That's the end of the gospel. The gospel reading for Easter Sunday on this particular year ends with the most dramatic event in all of human history having taken place. And the gospel ends with no one really understanding what on earth is going on and everyone remains in kind of a state of darkness. And I'm so struck by that because what I think we forget so often is that when Jesus rises from the, I mean, it was the moment the entire universe changed. The, the whole structure of human history is flipped on its head and no one knows about it or understand, even the few people who do know about it, they don't understand really until the ascension and then until Pentecost, really. And so they dwell in this sort of state of darkness for a while after the resurrection happens because God chooses to let the ripple effect of what he has done actually take some time to reach everybody. So this is a moment when Easter Sunday is still in a certain sense shrouded in a kind of darkness and lack of understanding. And I, for some reason that feels well, like it's, well, go for it. Well, Scott, one of the things that, that I'm, that I'm seeing here is that, um, is that you're actually having two experiences? Okay. You have one. The the uh, so so Simon Peter went in and he saw everything. He got he has all of the data. He's yes. got it going on. Yes. And um, but then the the one who was faster, who deferred to him, yes. came in and saw and believed because he understood, but they didn't. Well, so you I, actually are having. Well, that's not that's half true. And this is this is the other thing I'm really struck by with this reading, and I don't know what John's getting at because it said. Well, then what did he believe? I don't know. He, but, but here's what it, John is clear. He believed, but then he says in the very next sentence, but they did not yet understand. And I love, there's something beautiful about the, con- and we're not talking about blind faith. There is a real belief without full understanding. And that's actually where we are in this first Easter Sunday. No, I believe. I believe something's happened, but I don't really understand what's going on. And there's something very resonant with me about that, that I believe that God is at work in this time. I believe that he is active. I know you're doing masses in your chapel. I know what I know, but I don't really understand what God's up to right now. And John's expressing that. Yeah, I I get what you're, I get these, the spiritual experience that you're, that you're mentioning. I mean, like, ultimately, uh, we we started our conversation this morning before we started recording. I just said, hey, what are your conspiracy theories that you got going on? (laughs) And, uh, and you, and you rejected me on that, which which I, no, no, you did. You were like, I don't want to, I don't want to entertain it. I find that stuff upsetting and frustrating, which honestly, 
to me too. I, I do uh, sometimes. Sometimes I'm actually just uh, addicted to the news, and I just keep, I just keep looking back more and more and more and more to find um, proof for my own particular pet theories. <laughs> but at the at the core of of, of but, but then you're like, but what I want to know is I want to know what is God doing? Essentially, is what you said to me, which is actually something that I've been echoing in my own heart. It's like when. When people send me like really harsh criticisms of the church in this time, mm. I, I, want, I don't want to read them. I'm not interested in reading them because I do believe. I believe in Jesus Christ and I believe in the purity of the bride. Of, uh, I believe in the purity of the bride of Christ, mm. the church, and in Jesus. Like I really do believe. Do I understand what God is doing? I, I feel like I do a little bit in my life, yeah. actually. Like I'm, I feel like I'm... I'm in my prayer getting the, I'm receiving these things that the Lord is doing, but on a wild, wide global level, I, I don't, I mean, Hulk Hogan, I feel like he, he had a, he had some good input on it. You should go to his Instagram. I may, maybe some of you guys checked it out, but I was like, Hulk Hogan is my man, dude. He like, he went for it. Even though there's, there's a little bit of some harshness in there, but I, but I, I'm loving what he's perceiving, what God is trying to do, which is to refocus us on him. And, he, and Hulk Hogan, <laughs> He, you read it to me. I don't follow Hulk Hogan on Instagram, but maybe I'll start. But he, <laughs> what, what Hulk Hogan understood was that, again, it's, it's what you said. I keep, this is what I keep coming back to, that adage, right? History doesn't always repeat itself, but it does rhyme. And to look back and be like, no, this is why John can believe without full understanding. Because we know how God has worked in the past. And I've had this experience, and we're, we, we recognize those movements because we've seen him do this before, even though I don't fully know what it means in this time. Because hindsight's twenty twenty, right? We can, that's why the greatest insights into the spiritual life tend to be looking back and saying, oh, that's where God was. And in the moment of those dark moments, we can have trust that we will be... It's, it's like the concept, that this doesn't sound too abstract, of the ability to have hindsight while you're actually in the moment. Does that make sense? Yeah, like when you're in the year 2020. Right. Hind hindsight is 2020. Oh, nice. I see what you <laughs> pulled there. That was good. Yeah, yeah. You know, no, no I was I, I, how do you actually, and that's actually what I would call rev reverential experience. Absolutely when right. When you're, when you're recollected enough that you're be, being able to experience what's actually in front of you without having to... to um, uh, bridge the gap between what my experience was and actually processing it. Say that one more time. That's important. That that I am so reverential and present to what's taking place that I don't have a gap or a lag between what my experience is and the processing of it. That I'm yes. actually able to process the moment that's in front of me. Which does not mean versus which doesn't mean full understanding, but it means processing. Right. Yeah. Right. You're just like. Oh, and I think that that's what this belief is. But, that, but isn't that what the resurrection is? Yes. Is that we have to continually process this event. There's no way to take it all in at once. And I guess for, my... For all of human history. And I guess my takeaway with that is what is the resurrection? It is the process of God doing the most profound event in all of human history, but not letting us all in on it right away. And so the, the belief that, no, God is active even though I don't fully see it. That, that is the Easter experience. God has done it, and he's not fully let us in on it yet. Which is a perfect lead-in to the first reading. I think it is, actually. And that's why I, I kind of like the idea of doing it in reverse. 
because that does make <laughs> sense to me. Uh, Peter, can I just say a word about Peter? Because this first reading is all about Peter. And Peter's... You're talking to me right now. Oh, I see what you're doing there. Um, it is... Sorry, I'm just pulling back up the reading. Um, oh, there's a lot of context to the first reading. But I, 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 I was reading through one of my commentaries this morning on John. And the commentary was asking the question, just rhetorically, did John, does John know about Peter's rejection of Jesus? Literally two and a half days prior to this. Does he know what Peter has done? Because what Peter has done is pretty dire, right? I mean, he's in the midst of the darkness when he sees Jesus on trial. He's terrified. He's made all these promises that he can't keep. He has denied Christ three times. And then he recognized what he did. And you're almost like, wow, how do you even have the... the how can you even go back to your community and be a part of this? Like, right. does John know what he's... I mean, everybody kind of turned tail and ran except John. John's the only one who doesn't. And yet, and yet, John still has a reverence for the role of Peter. Even though he points out a couple times, he's like, I did get there first, and I was a faster runner than he was, yet I had the reverence to let the Pope go in first. Even though, I mean, what if he does know what Peter has done? What if he knows more than we think he does about how deeply G Peter betrayed Jesus, and yet that somehow doesn't take away from his reverence toward the role that Christ has given him? I don't know. That's the other thing that I keep batting around my head. Well, I, I also think, I mean, if, if you're if you're John, then you saw, if you were John, you were with Peter yeah. as you waited in the garden right. and how they bonked three times totally. and Jesus prayed. And and I wonder if John was already actually being able to put together the the fact that the triple denial of, of Peter was already redeemed in the triple uh, ascent to the Father's will of Jesus. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's true. You, cause, cause I kept on seeing that this year is like, he, he prayed three times, let my, not my will, but your will be done. Yeah. That like, yeah. in a certain yeah. sense, it's, 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 uh, it's that, th that third time, which is always so painful. It's just always so painful. It's also the fact the, that continually through the gospels, what's the one thing he keeps telling the apostles to do, stay awake and watch. What's the one thing the apostles don't do in the garden? Stay awake and watch. Who is the only right. one who does it for them? Jesus stays awake and watches on their behalf with his threefold ascent to the Father, literally taking on what the apostles were supposed to be doing, Peter in a particular way. So I think there's, there's right. a huge beauty to that. And then, but, but also the, the, the grace that God somehow gave to Peter to have the guts to go back and to go back with the community, to run to the tomb. I would be terrified to see Jesus if I know what I had done to him. And I, you know, he sees his eyes meet him. He, he knows all this. And yet Peter runs a little bit faster, a little bit slower than John, but he still runs. And, and really the whole story of what we get in the first reading, this is, brings us back to the first reading, Peter's testimony to the group of people up at Caesarea, where Cornelius is, the first ever group of non-Jews en masse to actually be baptized and received into the communion. 
It's all because of Peter's telling of the story, because Peter knows his history. He knows what happened, and obviously Peter has been able to have the gift of hindsight to look back and be like, this is how it all happened. I didn't get it at the time. I was shrouded in darkness when I was in it, but now I can stand before you and tell you, as a firsthand witness, this is what he did, this is what took place, and this is what it means for you. He doesn't bring up his sin, but you know that that's there. I mean, you can't have committed a sin like that and not have it kind of be there at all times in a certain sense. And yet the recognition that God has actually worked through that to give this testimony to the, to the people up in Caesarea. Um, one thing that's kind of cool that Acts chapter 10, Peter's testimony as he's bearing witness to this first ever group of Gentiles who are going to be received in mass, his his teaching in Acts 10 actually follows almost perfectly the structure of the Gospel of Mark, which is believed to be the Gospel of the testimony of Peter himself, which is kind of cool. Oh, That's, interesting. It, the, the, the point by point, it's almost the same exact structure as Mark's Gospel. So Peter, in other words, the reason I think that's important is that Peter has developed a kerygma. He has a, a way of telling the story. He, he's, he knows it's important enough that he has to kind of have it in his back pocket, a way to tell the story of what happened and how everything has changed because he needs to return to it again and again and again. And that's kind of beautiful to me. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, isn't that the... I think that that's actually one of the most beautiful parts about each one of our testimonies is that there are all these subtleties and... Um, distinctions and parts of how God has worked in our lives that, that you could take a theme and actually d derive from what your experience is, what's, what took place to speak to anybody in where they are. So, yeah. so as, as the, the, the testimony and the experience of Peter, he could speak to anybody and he knows how to draw out certain parts. And then the Holy Spirit draws out certain parts. I don't, I yeah. don't know if you've ever had this experience, Scott, where you're like, given your testimony of what your experience of God is. And when you're talking to somebody, you almost have like this new insight, yes. even though it's been years and years and years, 20 years, 25 years of telling it. And then all of a sudden it's still, you're like, oh, wow, that was actually really Wow, it's a, the Holy Spirit is still active within the stories that we told from the origins up into the moments that we have now. And you could see that. It's just that Peter's personal experience gets to be a guiding light for the whole of the church. And that the insight often comes through the telling, like you said, that God actually uses right. it. That's beautiful. And that's why I think that J Jesus here, he says that he commissioned, he commissioned us to preach to the people mm. and testify that he is the one appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Is that, that, um, th why did they not yet understood? They believed and then, but then the understanding, and this is what's so cool about the experience of faith throughout the ages, is that our understanding of the faith is absolutely critical, yes. not only for us, but for the people that he has commissioned right. us to go preach for. Right. That's it. Absolutely. Absolutely right. Which I think is actually, believe it or not, a great segue into the psalm. Tell me about that. All right, so here's what I want to say about the psalm. And here is uh, um, what I find. So it's a beautiful psalm. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad. You could at first glance think, oh, well, it's Easter Sunday. It's the day of the resurrection. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad. He made all things new on this day. Like there's, there's a lot of resonance but I dug a little bit into the history of this psalm and kind of where it comes from or where it's believed to have its origins. And in the, okay. the commentaries I was reading, I, I, I hope this makes sense because I, I was reading this kind of weirdly technical commentary 
And I almost came to tears because I was like, that's really beautiful. That's how you know it's a good commentary. Um, yeah, that's how you know. So um, this that is... It's testimony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not just commentary. Exactly. But but done correctly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's it's obviously a hymn of thanksgiving. It's specifically a hymn of thanksgiving for God's... Uh, for our victory through the grace of God over our enemies. And the thing that struck me in this commentary is they were saying, historically, there's three major theories as to where Psalm 118 actually comes from. The first theory is that it's a, a hymn of one of the Davidic kings who leads the nation into deliverance or, or leads the nation in this hymn um, because God has delivered Israel over this hard-fought bat battle. And, and some speculate it comes from Second Chronicles, one of the, the battles that God sort of preserves Israel through maybe when the Assyrians were attacking during the time of Hezekiah. That's a possibility. Um, a second option is that this is a psalm that was written for Israel to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles after their deliverance from Egypt and their victory over the Canaanites and settling the Promised Land. And then the third option is that this may have been composed by the Jewish people celebrating their release from the exile and going back and rebuilding the temple in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. So, you know, interesting insights into some historical circumstances that this psalm could have come out of. But the reason I'm struck by that is that if you see what this commentary is saying rightly, it's basically saying, wow, if you actually understand the scope of salvation history, what you see is... God just keeps bringing his people out of exile. God keeps bringing his people out of darkness where he asks them to believe into this new understanding. And God is so consistent and so faithful in his relieving us from our exile and saving us from our enemies that this psalm could literally fall into any of these historical contexts because that's how consistent and that's how faithful God has actually been through the course of salvation history. So of course, it's fitting that the church then chooses to put it on Easter Sunday when we are released from the greatest of our exiles to sin, when we are when God has defeated the greatest of the enemies, evil and death itself. And to know that God has done this before makes us be able to say, I believe, even though I don't fully understand, that God has now done it again. Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. That, like... I find that so fascinating. Uh, I mean, in a certain way, like, yeah, th that's what makes Revelation so beautiful. Is is and and this specific psalm too, this Psalm one eighteen, which is um, which is just powerful. The stone which the builders have rejected has become the cornerstone. Yeah. Um, I mean, how much do we see that in a consistent way? I, I So, yeah, I love it. I love that interoperability and how it quotes and it goes deeper and deeper and deeper as right. it engages in any one of those contexts. Right, right. Yeah, because we fall into trouble, I think, as believers, as people who are trying to be faithful, when we think, when we fall into the trap of thinking, oh my gosh, this has never happened to anyone before. What will we do? Because that mindset makes us forget that, no, God has brought us out of stuff before. God has always cared for his people. And when we, we have this kind of single-minded notion that no one has ever had it as bad as we do and things are so much worse for us, we make it all about ourselves and we forget the story that we actually came from. And the story that we came from is one of constant redemption, constant salvation. In spite of every new possible trauma, that the world can throw at us, God is nevertheless faithful. And again, for me in this time, that's really important. 
Yeah, I, I, I keep I keep coming back to the plagues in e- the plague in Egypt that led um, only because Hulk Hogan led, did. The, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the plague in Egypt that led Joseph to to be uh, reconciled mm. with his family. Yes. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. God uses a famine I, to bring a family back together. Right. Um, you, you take the, the plague if, uh, that, that David brought upon himself because he counted all the people, mm, yeah. <laughs> which I still I, don't, I actually don't understand. But the, but then there's actually this powerful things like the Lord isn't afraid of these things. It's scary for us, but he has us. Right. And that's why we look and we say, no, we have a cornerstone and we have faith, but we don't. But we're struggling with understanding, which is the second reading from Colossians to a T. And that's why I thought that that's why I was hoping we'd do this one, because that's literally what Colossians is saying. Colossians is this epistle of Paul that's written um, to the church in Colossae, right? Which the particular struggle that they're having is is struggle with a heresy that will eventually become what we call Gnosticism, which is this idea that um, things... Salvation comes from knowledge. Salvation comes from knowledge, and it's usually secret, hidden knowledge that not everybody has access to. And as long as you follow the right teachers or the right sages, that they'll, you know, buy all their books, that they'll give you all the answers. And if you only, only if you listen to Lanky Guys every single week without fail, will you have the answers and make it into Correct. Heaven? And if you copy and send this email to 10 other people, then you will not have. <laughs> Did you see there was some meme floating around online and they're like, maybe this is all because I didn't send that email to 10 other people. <laughs> Dude, I thought that was funny. Yeah. You and a you and another friend are always getting way funnier stuff in all of your feeds than mine. And like this is the thing is none of my stuff is funny. All of my stuff is always serious. It just tells me what my my um searching habits are yeah. online. As I'm always looking for serious things, which is funny because I'm a funny guy. I know, but your 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 algorithmic uh, history is not funny. No, it's 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 all to do's and serious things. Blah. But yes, I should have said those. <laughs> I should have copied this. I like that it used to be in in churches you'd have to go and clean up because people would like Xerox the thing oh. that was Xerox ninety five oh, times before geez. and it was like off kilter and super light and <laughs> degraded over time, which was actually beautiful and like cut apart by hand. And then you have to go copy it ten times and then oh. your prayers will get answered. Good heavens! Yeah, so yeah, yeah that's the second to... reading. What? How did we yeah. get there? <laughs> I don't know. What we got I have I have no idea. But no, this is this is what I love about the second reading is that um, is as as we were talking even just before about how how are we engaging with what's coming at us because and we're all living virtually. We're looking for for information and trying to understand how to process all this stuff. And yeah. it says, seek what is above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Think of what is above, not what is what on on earth, and not what you can see right in front of you. Right, like. Which is like, what John about, is doing. Right. Don't worry about the, the earthly things. There's a lot of people who have to worry about the earthly things. Like and that like and let's be honest, there's a lot of people worried about the earthly things. And, Rightly and so. we are too. And, and 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 we have mission, but if you don't start by thinking of what is above, then how can you act in accord with what is good and right and true and just yeah. and, and to say, Oh, okay, what is this about? Okay, let me act for that end. And there's a lot of people who've been missioned and commissioned to really help people right now. Yeah. And I'm in, I am so thankful for them. Yeah. And there's some people who are meant to actually just go and live a hidden life with God. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, because I love that. You've died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. I just um, mm. um, I just watched the Terrence Malick film, um, 
a hidden life did you have you seen it i yet? haven't no i know Dude, the film you're talking about but i haven't seen it it's long and powerful and for <laughs> it it's a it's terrence malick's um response to silence i think i, I somebody had told me that once okay. and I, and i've called held on to it because after after watching it you're going like because what, what's apostasy what's versus fidelity mm. and then what does it mean to live hidden virtue when it, it doesn't make when it seems to not make sense to anybody mm. and it it was like mm. it was really it's a very powerful film if you're looking for some uh, a lenten mm. thing that's not necessarily the passion of the christ i would definitely recommend it even during the triduum if you need a little entertainment you know yeah thank you but it's it's that it's a life hidden with christ and god like that's that's actually like th- that's what we're all in a certain sense asked to do in our domestic churches yeah. right now is to live in that hidden way and to seek what is above and and because of that then then we discover and we're able to reverence the moment and act in accord with it. And that is what I'm looking for. Well, and your, your point of reverencing the moment, I think, is important because I keep putting this all back in terms of John and Peter at the tomb. And it's not as though we're not supposed to focus on things that are that are here in front of us. The, the, the reading from Colossians isn't saying just ignore all the stuff in front of you, ignore all the things of this earth. Because again, it's not an, a reverse Gnosticism either. We're not just saying all, the, you know, uh, well, no, that's Gnosticism. But it's, 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 so when John, here's what I'm trying to say. When John saw what was in front of him in the tomb, which was an empty tomb, He didn't say, well, I I can't worry about that. I have to think about what's really going on. He said, no, what does the empty tomb actually mean for what's happening beyond my vision? The empty tomb is meant to spark the question of what does that mean God is up to? If he's not here, then where is he? And so it's, it's this balance the church theologically has always tried to stride of we don't ignore the things of the material world and our everyday lives, you know, for the sake of just the spiritual life. It's not that spiritual things are way more important than actual physical things or vice versa. It's all about the physical things. It's not about the spiritual things. The church has said, no, everything that happens in the course of our lives is meant to draw our attention to what is happening that we cannot. Everything that we see is meant to evoke all of these things that we cannot see. But it doesn't mean we yes. ignore what's in front of us. It doesn't mean we ignore the suffering. I mean, th- this is one of my other struggles is that we were talking before the podcast, right? I'm... I'm actually kind of enjoying this time. I like being home. I feel like my kids are, are, are falling into this great routine because they're getting enough sleep and we're sitting down for every meal together and school is still hard. But I mean, it's, I really like this and, and I am blessed to have a job that to one degree or another, I'm able to kind of do from home and I'm trying to cobble it together as best I can. And, and, and it's beautiful and the flowers are blooming in my backyard and I get to go on a walk every day and it's wonderful. Um, but I'm also not so naive to not see all of the suffering that's around me because I could I could go into that and be like, oh, well, this is what God is up to. I'm just going to see how beautiful this actually is. And I'm going to see how wonderful and glorious this is for my life because it's bringing me this peace. But I can't at the same time ignore that so many people have lost their jobs and their livelihoods, not to mention their lives and, you know, illness and people isolated and lonely and the real pain. And I really am struggling with how to balance, like, this is a blessing in my life at some, in some way, and I'm trying to see what God is doing, but not at the expense of recognizing that there's actually real trauma here as well. And to recognize right. the trauma and say, but God is still doing something beautiful not in spite of the trauma, but through the trauma. And that's the challenge of Christianity, right? 
Right, and and this is this is what's really hard too is that um, is that we we work and we act in accord with what the Lord is saying for us, and I know that in a very real way that blessing for your family is really profound it's and, and actually really necessary like like we actually right. need to be able to accept the blessings of our lives um as much as we accept the sufferings and that other people's sufferings are are not our own sufferings and we're not we don't actually have to make them our sufferings but we do in a very real way remember and pray and join ourselves to them but but even more than that we actually join ourselves to christ who joins himself to him yeah to them yeah and, and and so it, it's that we because we can't take on other people's sufferings. It, it, right. In fact, no. if if, well, if you try to do that, you get into real trouble spiritually. If you say, "I want your sufferings," right. no. What we do is we join ourselves to Jesus Christ, who joins Himself to their sufferings, yes. and then we are all united in Him. Yeah. And and that yeah. that I think is actually what these holy days are about: is that we are uniting ourselves to Christ, who has united Himself to every individual and particular suffering. Yeah. And in and in Him, we're able to see them, and then also recognize. That resurrection is real. Rising up is real. That this does not end in death. Yes, right. Yeah, which is easier said than done. Yes, but yeah. it is much easier when we go back and we say no. But we know this story. We've seen how this plays out, and we have the the hindsight to recognize what God has done, which gives us the ability to believe that He will keep doing it, even and to reverence the moment. Exactly right. Even without full understanding. Yeah. There's a, there's a, so, my favorite movie in the world is A River Runs Through It. And um, it made me fall in love with fly fishing in Montana. That's another story. But there is a line <laughs> at the end of the, of the movie where a, a prominent character dies and someone is, is lamenting. You've seen that movie, right, Father Peter? Yeah, yeah, of course. But someone is, is lamenting the death of this person and they're like, maybe I never really understood so and so. And the father, this wise pastor, has this line, he's like, we can still love fully without full understanding. And I, it's, it's such mm. a powerful line. He's like, I didn't, maybe I didn't love him well enough or maybe I didn't do enough. Maybe I, did, I just never understood. We can still love fully without full understanding. And that line has always really stuck with me. Well, that's a, I think that that's the title of the podcast today. Fair enough. Do I have to cite Robert Redford on that? <laughs> no. <laughs> or Norman McLean, I guess. uh well hey um you guys uh i many of you will probably listen to this on holy saturday in anticipation of easter sunday and um we wish you a very very blessed triduum and and a resurrection with jesus christ make sure you celebrate Mm, um within proportion and (laughs) (laughs) and uh and connect with your loved ones and and remember that uh he is risen yes truly he is risen yes yes Amen. We'll be back next week. Unless it's the end of the world. That's fair. And then we'll be with Jesus, hopefully. And then then we're going to be celebrating Mass in heaven, and it will be amazing. So, (laughs) Even better. All right. God bless you all. See you there. Bye-bye. Bye. The Word on the Hill podcast is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.thomascenter.org slash A-I-C-T. And you can find the Lanky Guys podcast at lankyguys.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we will be back next time.